0: Welcome in listeners to a very, very special episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We are joined by an incredible guest. Today we have the director B.D. Wong, whose current work, Yes, I Can Say That, is playing now through April 16th at 59E59 theaters. B.D. Wong, thank you so much for joining us.
1: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I love what you do.
0: Oh, thank you. I, this is an honor. This, I mean, I'm I'm all tingling and freaking out, but I'm also freaking out because you are directing this incredible show that I got to see last week, called Yes, I Can Say That, and it was amazing. Could you wow. tell us about this show? Yes,
1: I can say that is based on a book by Judy Gold and Eddie Sarfady, which came out in 2020, about the relationship and the tension between free speech, censorship, and stand-up comics. Judy Gold is a longtime veteran stand-up comic. She has worked her way through the ranks of stand-up comedy for decades now and has very strong opinions about this topic. The, the, the show is a solo performance based upon the book and and takes away a lot of the you know more important parts of the book it's very hard to make a a state you know a solo performance out of a a huge book but it it does that and it also makes it a little bit more personal to Judy's life and her perspective and her experience and her past as a as a kind of complement to it so to us it's a it's a very kind of three-dimensional Experience of uh, Judy's point of view and of this very interesting discussion about free speech and censorship and, and comics.
0: I love that. And I, I loved the duality of what am I trying to say? Like the historic end of it with female comics that were really featured prominently, as yeah. well as that free speech aspect. Yes. They were yes. both kind of running in conjunction with each other.
1: Yeah. And I think what it ends up being is very compelling discussion slash argument about this really rich topic and for Judy to delve into the history of stand-up comedy including for her from her point of view the the history of of female stand-up comics that's a real like great foundation for having a discussion about what censorship can be what it means to be relegated to a certain you know marginalized status in any industry and and to discuss how that affects all of the other things that she's talking about. She talks about cancellation. She talks about what it means to cross the line as a comic. She talks about a lot of really interesting things that we don't talk about that much, uh, the craft of stand-up comedy and what what a joke is, you know, all of that stuff. And and it's really uh, interesting to me as a kind of a layperson in in stand-up comedy. And also, I think the audience is just eating it up because it's such a, a, a discussion that we're all craving having and any discussion is made better by our ability to to articulate it this is what i have found over the years as a person talking about diversity and inclusion or talking about marginalization or representation i have thought oh wow you know we're only as good as we're able to really discuss these things so the show actually kind of gives us a point of view and a perspective and words actually to kind of attach to certain feelings and thoughts about this really hard topic. And I think that's really a great side effect of the show. So you can go, oh, yeah, okay, I see now, you know, because we get kind of wrapped up in, should we or shouldn't we? And why should we or why shouldn't we? And a lot of people can't even answer that for them themselves. The show might help them do that.
0: Now you are the director, so I want to know what has it been like developing the show, this great one woman show?
1: Thank you. I took this job knowing that it would be really fun and challenging and exciting for me. I've known Judy for many years, and so we have a history together. And I have been writing more and working more in development and doing a lot more new work these days. And the development of new work is really interesting and really important to me. And so I did play a a pretty active role in the development of the show from a from a not just a director's point of view but from a kind of even kind of with eddie and and judy as you know kind of working with them as writers and i find that really fun and we did two workshops of the show last year two one week writing workshops and the, the the show developed really exponentially as we went on you know from eddie and judy adapting it from the book. And then in December, we had a big reading to kind of launch the project and to see what we had. And we had a really strong script by December. And then we started rehearsal in February. So between December and February, Judy and Eddie continued to work on the script. And then when we got into rehearsal, we continued to develop the script for the first couple of weeks. In fact, we actually started actual really actually rehearsing the show much later than we when one normally would and, and that one normally should. And and so Judy was kind of like flying by the seat of her pants for a while because we spent so much care developing the the material in the first couple of weeks of rehearsal. But we are thrilled by the way it turned out. I think a collaboration of two people is one thing and a collaboration of three people is is you know exponentially more complicated and for three people to agree and to be able to kind of work together on something really is satisfying so i think all three of us are really happy with the way that it's turned out the way that it's threaded through a needle of kind of trying to you know get judy from point a to point b over the course of 77 minutes and trying to cover a lot of ground
0: yes there as you mentioned just now there is a lot of ground that is covered in the show a lot of powerful ground And I love that it's told through humor. I think that's the most disarming way to do it with an audience. You can cover the most serious or controversial subjects simply by doing it in a humorous way. But with all of this ground you're covering, is there a message or a thought you're hoping the audience will take away from the show?
1: I think there is. And I think that is, if I can boil it down to a sentence, I don't know if that's possible, Mm but I I think if there is one, it would be, to lighten up about our the cl- the the kind of a clenched kind of restrictions that we we might feel like we want to place on stand-up comics. Judy is is talking from a very specific point of view, and that Judy's an artist and she really takes the the medium very seriously. She's a craftsperson, she 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 thinks about what she's saying very mindfully, she executes it if this, if a joke isn't funny she doesn't do it there's no point it's not it's not comedy unless people are laughing and the com- comedy and the laughter is what justifies the depth to which you can go and the line that you can cross if the people are laughing and it's if you've read the room properly then you're not angering people you're not like pushing them in a direction they don't want to go so the laughter is the barometer for for the thing that you're trying to uncover or take, make fun of or whatever. And so the takeaway is to kind of understand that process a little bit and to say, oh, I see. I, I walk into a stand-up club and anything can happen. And then I leave the stand-up club and, 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 and it, it, it happened and it was a thing. And some of it I loved and some of it I didn't. But that's pretty much it. If, if the stand-up has taken care of you, then you can fully embrace that. Crossing the line and making people mad and not making them laugh—that's a whole other thing. And and Judy actually doesn't do that. So she is talking from a very artistic point of view about the craft. And but we do want people. I think Judy wants people to to take into con- consideration the history of comedy, the uh, the point of view of a comic, the livelihood of the comic, the the need for the comic to feel unfettered. And all of these things before one decides that someone is going to be canceled or that you're going to, you know, write them off. And and that's really valuable because we don't hear this perspective ever. We don't. There's a lot of discussion that's on the table at all. So it's really refreshing for the audience I think to to hear her talk about this is what it's like to be a stand-up and this is why we do it. And it's not arbitrary. There's a real method to the madness.
0: Yes with it being such a hilarious but powerful show who do you hope have access to the show
1: well i'm happy to say that i think everybody can use this show because it's such an undervalued conversation we think of stand-up comedians as kind of lowbrow and they they don't really mean anything they're certainly not artists and we think a lot of things that this show can open one's eyes to so i i think i'm Excited about that because any art that you do, any show that you're doing, is about the, your accessibility to as many people as possible, and whether or not you're there, reachable. I'm not really interested as much in kind of snobby, overintellectualized political discussions on stage. They, they, I'm, I'm really kind of upset about that actually, because I don't think it's for the people, mm. and then I also don't like. Something that's so lowbrow that it has no conversational value at all. So, in the middle is a sweet spot for me, where you reach as many people as possible and you affect and create a discussion or dialogue or an understanding through as many people as possible. If you can create a revelation on the snob area of the spectrum, the needles going into snob territory, then you've really kind of really achieved something that's rather difficult. But the the reverse is also true. At the lower end of the spectrum in the needle, there are are people that don't think about a, a lot of things and don't need to think about a lot of things. And when you can kind of give them a little bit of an understanding of something new, then you're really kind of, your storytelling has really intensely great value. And I really believe in trying to move, amuse, and stimulate as many people as possible. And I believe that this particular show is really good at that. I mean, aside from the fact that I worked on it and that I helped develop it or whatever, I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed and delighted and thrilled to watch Judy do it almost every night. I watch her almost every night and, and to see the audience kind of having their aha moment about a lot of these topics that she's talking about.
0: up a little now. I want to give our listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Sure. And I want to ask what shows composers or playwrights have inspired you or do you love?
1: I I really, you know, it's it's a, it's a, a dull topic to sing the praises of Stephen Sondheim, but Stephen Sondheim's kind of generally overlying large footprint contribution to the the, to the art form of musical theater is undeniable. And I grew up revering and understanding and appreciating from an intellectual standpoint, the place that he was coming from. So I have, I'm a huge fan. I think the shows are often quite flawed and they they don't know they're not, they don't always like many shows. They don't always work a hundred percent, but it doesn't matter the music and the the poetry are undeniably put in shoulders above the craft and the abilities of most other composing teams and so that's one thing that's the first thing that comes to my mind and we i love that we can i really do love that we can talk freely now i mean not that he i don't i'm not happy that he's dead um, yeah. but I, but you know that their the history has now moved into this other whole area of, of discussing sondheim in a way that is really really potentially great. So I'm also a huge Dave Yazbeck fan. I think that Dave Yazbeck is very, actually very underrated. And I just love his craft and his wit and his music and his shows. And he's, and I'm a candor fan. And I'm, I I come from a background of musical theater, and so I love musicals, and I, I'm, you know, I'm a Hal Prince fan, and the Hal Prince-Sondheim collaborations are part of the golden age of, of, a, of a, a kind of a middle era of musical theater, which was after the tail end of the golden age and the beginning of innovation and, and thinking outside of the box of what musical theater could be. And I love that Hal prince undeniably, I mean, I don't think I'm saying this because I'm a director, but Hal Prince is undeniably a huge part of that influence, not just on So that's an incredibly dream team kind of collaboration. Those are the main ones that I can think of.
0: What is your favorite part about working in the theater?
1: Wow. There really are a lot of different moving separate parts that really work for me. I remember when I was a kid, I was in some kind of show and the rehearsal period and, and I was the, an actor in the show, right? So the fun part for me was after we rehearsed, we go into tech and you start wearing costumes and you start uh, doing all that. And I remember a director saying, yeah, this is really sad and the rehearsal's ending and this is my favorite part and now, now we're just going to go into tech and the show's going to happen. And I wasn't really a much of a director at that point, uh, although I have always directed. And, and I thought, what is he talking about? that's ridiculous this is the fun part the part where we go into the theater but now I understand that the conversations and the stimulation and the collaboration happen in the rehearsal room and that that is if the actor's open to it and the actor's a part of it then it's fun for everybody and that it is in many ways especially when it comes to the show that I have just done with Judy the development of the show itself is happening in that room and and so if you're lucky to be in a part of a of a show that has any lasting value in the in its form you know like if you were working on Hamilton or something and you were in the room where it happens you get to say or be privy to really interesting decisions that are being made or changes that are happening and that's just the 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 fact that something starts at point a and you don't know where it's going to go 100% until it gets to that point, or if it does even, is dangerous and fun and scary and wonderful and challenging. And and, and I just love that part of it. I really have loved that in, in working on Judy's show because it, it was a 100% kind of free-flowing collaboration. But on the other hand, my other takeaway from this all is completely different, which is that I became an actor because I understood this unspoken relationship between the audience and the actor and i love that like uh crackling kind of energy that comes from an audience the audience tells you what it wants to see or what it's loving and what it's not loving this is also part of the theme of judy's show which is that the audience will tell you. you know the audience plays a huge part in giving you feedback and telling you whether you are crossing the line and and so the audience relationship has always been just huge you know what uh, it doesn't matter what I think as the director what does the audience actually think and I step aside as the director or as the, know the intellectual being working on a show when I want to really make the show good I really have to think listen to what the audience is doing and, and what, how they're responding to it. the preview process in a new show a new musical or play is fascinating and wonderful and if you have the resources to own the show, in previews, as we did with Primary Stages and Judy's show, you can really, the show changes tremendously from the, the dress rehearsal to the um, opening night. And that's amazing. So, all of those things are the, the main things that come to my mind when I say, when I think about what is it that I love about it.
0: I love that. And that leads us to my favorite question, which I'm so excited to hear yours. And that's what is your favorite theater memory? I have
1: an instant answer to that. Well, but I, but before I answer it, that, that I will say that I spent a couple of years before I moved to New York, after I was in high school, ushering at the Golden Gate Theater, it, where all of the shows came through town, and I saw, I saw the original production, the, the original production, but the touring cast of A Chorus Line a hundred times. I watched A Chorus Line every night. I love it wow. so much. And I saw Angela Lansbury and George Hearn. No, Angela. Yeah, Angela Lansbury and George Hearn and Sweeney Todd 30 times. And I saw a million other performances that are burned in my memory. Glenn Close and Varno. And mm-hmm. I saw Christine Eversol and Camelot. And I saw Alexis Smith and Best Little House. And then I was also a, a season ticket holder at the Broadway series, you know, in my hometown, San Francisco. But really, my first exposure to musical theater was when I was a freshman in high school. I'd seen musicals before. I don't know why, what was actually happening. Oh, I, I know what it was. I'd, I'd seen musicals before, but I'd seen only professional music, and they were in this big house and i sat in the balcony and watched them. and so it was a it was a separation between me and that but when it was in a freshman in high school i didn't get into the the high school that i wanted to get into that all my friends got into we needed a grade point average to get in and i missed by one point point. and so i was this odd man out when all my friends went to this this high school lowell high school in, in san francisco and i spent the first semester hanging out there because my friends all went there it was really sad actually <laughs> but one of the things that i did was i went to see their high school music and their high school musical was a student production of a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum. and this school was famous for doing good shows and the school that i got into was not and this production was incredible and it starred a guy named Robert Cavi, who went on to become an actor who lives in New York now. Who I recently looked up on Facebook and said, "You know what? Tell me about your life because you changed my life as a as a student actor." I mean, I saw the production three times. It was probably only on four or six times or something like that. I kept going back to see. I was just so magnetized by this production, by the show itself, and by the by the actors in it. And it made me, it made me, it connected me to the actual possibility of actually doing that kind of work. I always thought I was just an audience. But prior to that, I was just watching shows and loving them. I saw tons of wonderful productions in that way that I told you was a ticket home. I scraped together all my money to do it, but but this was different. And Robert's performance Pseudalist was so hilarious and well-timed and skilled and full of joy that it's really stuck with me to this day, actually. And I, so that's it. I mean, it was magical for me. It immediately started this process of me thinking about or uh, we're, we're being fascinated by it. And then when I was a sophomore in, in high school, a teacher came into a, a class that I was in and said, we're, we're recruiting people to play musical instruments in the in the pit for the school school musical which i i wanted to be in proximity to the show so i said okay i'll i'll do that and then a, a person sitting next to me who was my good friend who had parents who were in community theater and so she performed in community theater had said oh no the, the action isn't in the orchestra pit the action is on the stage and i mm-hmm. knew this but you know that i didn't have any other proximity to eligibility for it but i secretly was thrilled that she made me go to this tryout and introduced me to this drama teacher who changed my life so that memory of that shows is the thing that is constantly in my mind the original performance i mean you know we have now we're enjoying um haven't seen it yet but they, we're, we are able to say we have a full-on new revival of sweeney Todd of just so and the original production of Sweeney Todd and Angela Lansbury's performance in particular is burned in my memory, <laughs> like just into my core. The the chills that I felt watching that production were incredible. And any other production of Sweeney Todd has paled in comparison because of the feelings that I have not gotten from it. I'm dying to see this one. I'm dying to see if it comes close to creating that tension and excitement that the original production had that i don't think i've ever seen replicated or or even close to being achieved so that's another memory of mine those two memories are the professional and non-professional versions of the same thing
0: wow amazing (laughs) really oh my no seriously i i love that that started in high school with, with seeing someone like a peer that inspired you, yeah. but also being able to see the originals of Sweeney Todd, especially now more than ever. I mean, the closest most of us can get is that VHS recording. So that's, that's incredible. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's a great recording, but yeah. um,
1: pretty great recording. But I remember, you know, I used to, I used to, when someone didn't show up or when there was an empty seat, I would go run down front and I would sit oh. in the or- in the orchestra really close and that perform- her performance was unbelievable, unbelievably moving, unbelievably moving and, and scary and beautiful. Just gorgeous performance.
0: That is amazing. Thank you for sharing those. Sure. Are there any other productions or projects you have coming on the pipeline we might be able to plug? Sure.
1: Yes. So I have enjoyed working on this a television show called Nora from Queens. Aquafina is Nora from Queens on Comedy Central. We shot our third season uh, early, uh, late last year, and been waiting for it to air, and it's finally airing. And the end of the season premiere of season three of Aquafina is North from Queens is April twenty sixth, Wednesday, April twenty sixth at ten thirty on Comedy Central. And I, I, I really have always loved uh, working on this show and all of the things that it means to me. There's a lot of kind of family vibes to it, and, and so I. I've always loved it, but the third season in particular, I really enjoyed working on and Found it very emotionally satisfying. So that that's in the offing. I did a, a Netflix movie called A Heart of Stone, which comes out at some point, maybe in the summer with Gal Gadot. And then I'm pushing on my own show up the mountain. I co-wrote the adaptation of a movie called Mr. Holland's Opus, which had its first production last summer. And which are, we're just, it was a pretty successful production. So we, we got it on the map, we're on the edge of the map, and now we're continuing to push it up the mountain to to, to um, see what our next incarnation
0: of it might be. Heard a lot of great things coming from Algonquin Playhouse regarding that show, oh, well, a, summer. a lot hey, of great man. things. And I was bummed I couldn't make the trip up to see it, but a lot of friends up there in the Northeast Corridor were raving about it. And I completely forgot you had a hand in that show. Yeah, I corrected
1: it and I co-wrote it with Wayne Barker. It's, it's, that's our baby. You know, that's the thing that I put a lot of my creative energy into that nobody knows about because it's all kind of, you know, working its way towards something. And that's another part of this business that is so interesting and wonderful to me if you're into up for it, which is, you know, taking the passion projects, you know, trying to really create something new. And I love the idea of that. And so, yes, we had a really, really challenging, but wonderfully satisfying production in in Ogunquit at the Ogunquit Playhouse last summer. And just going from that to the next step is really exciting to us.
0: Well, my final question for you is, if our listeners want more information about, yes, I can say that, or about you, maybe they want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Oh, well, I'm
1: on Instagram, at Wongbd and and on Twitter and, and stuff like that, and that's, a, a, that's the easiest way. I think those are the best forums, actually. I'm, I'm on Instagram a fair amount, and I, and I like that as a kind of form of expression, I think I think those are the those those are the best ways I I I if you want to if you're if you're in the next couple of weeks and you're going to go see yes I can say that at uh, 59 59 I'll probably be there
0: wonderful well BD thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me seriously like this is I I love it I am on cloud nine this has been amazing I wish I had so much more time than just pick your brain and we'll, we'll do it another and time. We'll,
1: and there'll be, you know, who knows what'll happen from the, from today till next year or whenever, and we'll do it again.
0: I, I look forward to it. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks. And 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 much love to hope.
0: Thank you. My guest today has been the director BD Wong, who is directing the new show from primary stages in association with Jamie DeRoy. Yes, I Can Save That, which stars Judy Gold. It's playing now through April 16th at 59E59 Theatres. You can get tickets and more information by visiting 59E59.org or primarystages.org. This is a fabulous show. You do not want to miss it. I highly recommend it. And get your tickets now. I guarantee they're going to start going much quicker. You don't want to miss it, so visit 59E59.org or PrimaryStages.org. We'll also have BD's social media contact information listed in the episode description as well as on our social media if you want to follow along, and I guarantee you will, to stay on top of all the amazing projects that BD has coming out, including season three of Nora from Queens, which is debuting later this month on Comedy Central.